please turn to your Bibles to Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child. He put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we invite you to be with us this morning, uh, to meet us exactly where we are, um, and to speak to us in a personal way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, everyone. Well, believe it or not, guys, uh, we are already nearly through the month of January. So I get to ask, how has 2024 been for you? Take a second, turn to your neighbor, and ask them that question. How has 2024 been for you? Okay, okay, we're going to bring it back in. We're going to bring it back in. All right. Continue your conversation afterwards. Uh, Someone asked me that recently, and I don't always get to say this, but I'm actually really grateful to be able to say, actually, it's been a pretty restful start to the year. Uh, I've been sleeping more, getting out to play, spending time with really close friends. Uh, We kicked off our first Sunday just a couple weeks ago with a guest speaker, so that was a nice break. Um, And then I remembered this. Sam, fire that up. Most of you know who this is. Uh, If you don't, this is Doodle, our dog. Uh, If you've never met him before, uh, let's just say he's a bit of a firecracker. Uh, And this photo was taken on the evening of that first Sunday of this year, just two weeks ago. The one that I said was restful until that evening. Um, Our friend An had just preached. Uh, It was a beautiful service. We all went out to Tico afterwards, as usual. And then I went home to put Phoebe down for a nap. Uh, Amanda was at work, so I was solo dadding. And later that evening, we were supposed to meet up at a family friend's house for dinner. So Phoebe naps. And when she gets up, I start getting things ready. uh, And I realize I hadn't watched Doodle yet. Uh, I check my watch, not a lot of time. It's also getting dark and cold outside. So instead of walking, I decide just to just take Doodle out uh, with Phoebe in my arms out into our front yard um, to play. Now, if you've been to our place, you know it's not a fenced-in yard. But Doodle's recall is usually pretty good. Usually. Anyway, we get out. He's prancing around like a gazelle because he just loves to roam free. Um, And then he does his number two business. Uh, However, he does it in a pile of leaves, and so I have to, like, look for it. Uh, I probably spend too much time looking for it, and because when I finally find it and bag it, I look up, and Doodle is nowhere in sight. Doodle! Doodle! I call out. About 50 times, uh, no response. No doodle charging across the lawn. Uh, somehow, for some, I, I don't know how, but I wasn't stressing, I uh, wasn't panicking. 
yet. Uh, but after a while, after multiple laps around our house calling his name, uh, I finally turned to Phoebe and I'm like, well, Phoebe, we gotta go look for your brother. So bring her back inside, put on some warmer clothes, load her up into our, our baby hiking pack, and we began our father-daughter search and rescue mission. By now, it's 4.30 p.m., and so the sun is sinking below the horizon, and it's getting colder. First, we walk just up and down the street, um, trying to stay positive, uh, hoping that he'll just be nearby, uh, but he's not. So then we walk to the park, uh, where we usually would take our walks together, and then I go back and I do a lap around the entire neighborhood, asking other walkers if they've seen this black, sheepy-looking dog. No one's seen him. 10 minutes become 20, and then 30, and then 45. Meanwhile, this is when I start to get a little anxious, uh, but, uh, but Phoebe is just bouncing around on my back, like babbling, dada, dada, the whole time. Like she feels none of the anxiety that I feel. She's just enjoying the ride, she's totally a happy camper. Uh, so finally we start nearing the house. Uh, by now it's dark and I'm slightly more panicked at this point, and these are the thoughts that go through my head. Did I actually just lose our dog? <laughs> Will he ever come back? Will Phoebe's earliest memory be the fact that dad lost the dog? Like, we used to have a dog, but then dad lost him. So I grew up never knowing him. Um, I had been delaying texting Amanda because I didn't, she's at work and I didn't want to stress her out, but I finally texted her this. We've lost Doodle, please pray. We get back home. I've just about lost all hope, and then I decide to just call his name out one more time. Doodle! Silence. Then, rustling. And then the jingle jangle of a dog tag. And then out of the bushes and across the lawn comes Doodle charging full force and then quickly screeching to a halt right at my feet. He sits and he looks up at me with that mischievous grin that you see right there that says, Dad, I just had the most wonderful time. And I look down at him and he is covered from head to toe in nasty, muddy water, which meant that he had actually been either on or around our property the whole time, but decided to go for a swim in, our, in the marshy wetlands behind our house. It was really disgusting. So I quickly hose him off because I got to get us all to dinner, uh, but it's not enough. So he, we walk up to the front door, he shakes off, and there's just muddy water just all over our white front door. So I got him hose that off. At this point, I'm angry, but it was just too ridiculous not to share with the world, of course. So I post it on my stories, and my friend replies with this, fun was had by all. And I was like, was it? No, it wasn't. And this whole episode is in my head because somehow I found myself recounting this to my therapist the other day. And I said this to him. I was like, I felt, in that moment, I felt like I needed to get on their level. Like I was stressing. Phoebe wasn't. She was a happy camper. Doodle certainly wasn't. He was having the time of his life. To them, it was an adventure. To me, less so. Now, why do I tell you all of this? Because maybe we all need to get on their level. Today is part three of our vision series that we've been going through called Reengaging the Vision, which is this, True North, 
leading lives pointed by Jesus. Inner lives pointed by him and outer lives pointing to him. Also, if you've been around our community lately, specifically in our our community groups, we've been doing a lot of what's called listening prayer, where we simply ask the Holy Spirit to speak, and then we listen for a, a word or a specific invitation from the Lord, particularly in this new year. And as I've been spending time listening to the Lord, my mind is constantly drawn back to the fact that I am in a season of my life where I'm just spending a lot of time with Phoebe and Doodle, the kids. It's a season of a lot of juggling and balancing and solo dadding. uh, And I am actually super grateful that this is where I am right now. But as I continue to process this, the question that comes to my mind in the form of a prayer is this. Lord, through all of the time that I'm spending with Phoebe and Doodle in this season of my life, What do you want to do in me? What do you have for me? And then these words come to mind. I need to get on their level. A child and a dog. The painter Pablo Picasso famously said this, it takes a very long time to become young. The Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus of Nazareth says it this way, truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So today we'll do two things. First, we'll unpack what that means. And then together we'll prayerfully discern what that might look like for each of us in our unique contexts and life stages. Because what if this is an invitation to all who would follow Jesus? What if becoming like a child is actually central to life with him? So would you turn again with me to Matthew 18? Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. When you get there, keep a finger there and also turn to John chapter 3. We're going to do a bit of a side-by-side reading today. So Matthew chapter 18, John chapter 3. I'll read Matthew first, right at, right at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, turn over to John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to see Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So clearly there are some similarities and parallels between these two passages. And we're going to break it down into three parts. Status, reversal, and seeing. Let's start with the first component, status. Both passages start with a statement relating to status in some way, right? Like Matthew's account starts with the disciples asking Jesus, 
Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's a question of status. John's account starts with a description of Nicodemus' status. We know he's a Pharisee, and John specifies that he's a ruler of the Jews, which meant that he was a part of a a Jewish governing body called the Sanhedrin. Uh, These were the high-ranking Jews that presided over Jesus' trial right before he was sentenced to death on the cross. And so Nicodemus is like the most elite here. Now, I actually think that the best way into this for us is by asking, how do we define greatness? How do you define greatness? Back when I was performing like, piano recitals and concerts, something you'd have to do as a performer uh, was provide an artist bio so that people who would go to see you play would basically see your credentials. Like who you studied with, where you've performed, who you've performed with, what competitions you've won evidence of of some greatness and that you were worth their time and money somehow. But how would you define greatness? Do we measure it by skills or talents, looks and beauty, employment status, or what kind of job you have? Income, academic performance, uh, the amount of life accomplishments we've checked off, uh, amount of followers on social media, Uh, video game rankings, relationship status. Context might be different and the credentials might be different, but we might look for the same kind of thing that John lists off about Nicodemus. Like just replace it with some of the measures of success and greatness that we look for. Like imagine this. Now there was a super popular influencer named Nicodemus, million subscribers, that blue check next to his name. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know you're making waves in the world. No one has that kind of riz unless God is with him. And Jesus would reply, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, when it comes to the kingdom, seeing the kingdom and the things of God, your status gets you nowhere. In fact, it's likely getting in the way even. Your riz might just be a barrier. Can't believe I just said that. In Matthew's account, Jesus knows exactly what the disciples are after. They ask Jesus, who's the greatest? And they probably expect him to say Moses or David, or if we fast forward to our time, Tim Keller or Billy Graham. And, and these are all heroes of the faith. But they're essentially hoping that Jesus will affirm their human definition of greatness. And there's also a bit of competition at play here among the disciples. Like, they're secretly hoping that that Jesus will name one of them. Um, Like, we actually see this two chapters later in in, in Matthew chapter 20. John and James' mom, they have to get their mom, uh, goes to Jesus and she asks if their son, if if her sons can sit at his right and left hand. Basically asking for positions of status or power. So here in chapter 18, it's like they're asking, Jesus, who's the greatest? While in their minds thinking, say me, say me, say me. If they think it's me, it should be me. But Jesus doesn't affirm their definition of greatness or name any one of them. And so it isn't status or, or success or greatness as defined by the world and our standards that gets you far in the kingdom of heaven. Which leads us to the second component. Reversal. I'll read it again. Jesus says in Matthew, Truly I say to you, unless you turn 
and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest. Then in John's gospel, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus' status as a high-ranking Pharisee would have meant a lot in that day, in that context, to Matthew's particular readers, which was predominantly Jewish. Which is why, or I'm sorry, John's audience, which is why he begins with it before we basically hear Jesus say that that's not what he's after. Then we have to understand that that back in those days, children actually had very little status. Like they were almost considered second-class citizens. So the way we see Jesus treating children here would have been very countercultural to both Jewish society and Roman culture. You know, we, we, we see and we hear Jesus picking up a child and saying, become like children. And we think, well, that's a cute scene. Back then, that would have been a pretty bold statement to make. But then again, God's kingdom has always been an upside-down kingdom, where the proud are humbled and the lowly are brought up. James, the brother of Jesus, reminds us this. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So while we're here on earth trying to gain status, God's kingdom is all about dropping status, becoming like children. It's about adopting a posture of humility, ready to be challenged, ready to be dethroned in a way, ready to be proven wrong, ready to learn and to be reformed, and also ready to be amazed. And this is how we begin to see. Third part, seeing. The first thing we need to do here is define kingdom. What do we mean when we say the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Or when we pray, your kingdom come, because we do that every week. Well, just think about the word kingdom. In a kingdom, there is a king who rules over subjects. And the reality is, friends, we live under all sorts of kings and queens, rulers. It might be Jesus, or it might be our bosses, or our parents, or the cultural trends and icons that we follow. Now, we could get into an entire sermon series about this, but very simply, God's kingdom is where God's reign is happening and where his will is being done. And since God is a good king, That is something to be enjoyed and welcomed, not avoided or ignored. Now, what is God's will? His will is the redemption and the renewal of the world. He wants to make all things new again, and we get to be a part of that. His mission is a mission of rescuing, healing, bringing new life where there was only once death, new hope where there was only hopelessness, and new joy where there was sorrow. His will is the redemption and the renewal of our hearts. We've gone astray and we regularly stray, but God wants to bring us back to him so that we can know him and enjoy him, be loved by him, and then be transformed by him into people who participate in the things that he wants to do in this world. I think a lot of us grew up with the notion that being Christian is about believing saying the right things, memorizing the verses, acting the right way, and then going to heaven when we die. And that's sort of part of it. But God's mission, Jesus' ministry, the role of the church and what we get to be a part of is bringing heaven down to earth. 
This is what the kingdom is about. This is why we pray, your kingdom come. And check out what Jesus says in Luke's gospel. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, there it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Meaning, the kingdom is not going to come in these, these flashy signs that you're looking for. God's kingdom is here. It's not a matter of whether or not God's kingdom has come or not. It's a matter of whether or not we see it. Whether or not we're ready to see it and receive it. Elsewhere in Matthew, Jesus echoes Isaiah's prophecy concerning that generation. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. So how do we hear and see? How do we see God's kingdom in our midst? How do we trust and welcome his rule in our hearts as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? Because to pray that is to invite someone else, God, to rule in our lives. How do we open ourselves up to hear his voice so that we can listen to him? How do we see the signs of his kingdom breaking into ours? How do we open our eyes to see the miraculous? It's because at the end of the day, miracles are signs that his kingdom is here. That was true back in Jesus' day, and it's true today. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And at this point, the refrain in my mind returns. I feel like I need to get on their level. Become like children. Be born again. This is beginner imagery. As if Jesus is telling us we need to be beginners again. And this is an invitation to all of us. The spiritual life and all that it encompasses. Prayer, faith, getting to know an invisible God. What if that all boils down to humbling ourselves and recapturing our inner child so that we can see what God is doing, hear what he's saying, and know him deeply? Recently, I rewatched the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, extended edition, of course, uh, with my little brothers. They had never seen it. I keep referencing them in my sermons, so I had some discipling to do. Uh, needless to say, I was psyched. I was also a little nervous that they would sit through nearly 14 hours only to be bored. Uh, but to my relief, they loved it. Uh, we made a whole Sabbath ritual out of it. Like We went out, bought all the junk food. They spent the night. We stayed up late watching. Uh, it was glorious. And then, you all know I love Lord of the Rings. Uh, but when I watched it with them again, man, it was like I fell in love with it all over. I loved getting to revisit like, favorite scenes and moments and characters. Uh, but I also noticed new things and made new connections that weren't as apparent before. All the while, my brothers were asking me questions like, what is Gollum's origin story? What is Aragorn's family line? Why do they call Gandalf Mithrandir? Where did Sauron come from? How did the, how did the eagles come always a little late? And I got to go through it with them. And even though I had seen the trilogy at least 20 times, 
as I was re-watching it with my brothers, it felt like I was watching it through new eyes again. Through the eyes of children. One of the greatest joys of parenting Phoebe is getting to see the world anew through her eyes. The eyes of a one-year-old. Suddenly, everything that has become mundane and even taken for granted through the course of aging and living life takes on a new spark and brilliance. Like, we'll go for a walk, and we'll walk by something as commonplace in Washington as a tree. And then Phoebe will point to it, and I'll be like, Phoebe, that's a tree. It's beautiful, isn't it? And then I'll have a moment, I'll be like, yeah, it is beautiful. We'll walk by a creek, and she'll point at it, and I'll be like, that's a creek, Phoebe. Flowing water. It provides water to all the surrounding plants. It's how the trees can grow to be big and beautiful. And animals can drink when they're thirsty. Not all places have flowing water. The other day we went to Barnes and Nobles because when you have a toddler, everything and everywhere is a playground. But we went there checking out the books and playing with all the toys without purchasing them. And then Phoebe was crawling on the ground towards something. And I used to be kind of a germaphobe, but I've just been, I'm just like, whatever now. Uh, she's crawling towards something. Uh, she grabs it, and she just turns around and has, like, the biggest smile on her face with all her eight teeth showing. And you know what she picked up? She picked up, uh, like, a ripped tag that had fallen off one of the toys. That's what she was excited about. Unless you turn and become children. As another year goes by, as I get older, something I discover more and more is that one of the key components of a good life is the ability to derive wonder and fun and joy and even love out of the simplest means. I love that Tiffany started with a liturgy about morning coffee going for a walk or a run down a a beautiful tree-lined road, enjoying the view at the top of a hike, eating pho on a cold, rainy Seattle day, taking in the simple yet complex beauty of a flower. For 2024 and beyond, what if this is the invitation to all of us to become like children? What if finding your best life comes down to learning how to enjoy Jesus and his kingdom and his rule and reign like children? What if humbling ourselves and adopting the posture and spirit of a child is what will allow us to see signs of God's presence and signs of his inbreaking kingdom? The new year is a time for new beginnings. So what if at the heart of that is a call to simply be a beginner again? What if this is how we are to begin again? When I turned 30, I decided after 15 years of not doing it to take up skateboarding again. I went out, bought a brand new skateboard. I bought parts that I couldn't afford when I was a kid. And then I became that senior citizen at the skate park, asking kids half my age for advice on tricks. And I didn't care, like it didn't hurt my pride at all. To this day, I'll still go out like once every couple months with my buddy Jeff. Uh, We'll meet up, skate together. 
we became beginners again. And I almost feel like I have more fun skateboarding now than I did when I was a kid. Partly because when you turn and become like a child, you have all the context of how draining adulthood could be, how heavy the world can be, and how jaded we can all get. It's the perfect context to turn and to become like children again. Yes, yes, amen. Last week we talked about the spiritual practices, prayer, scripture, Sabbath, silence, solitude, fasting, worship, community, and hospitality. Um, And so friends, this year, what if your invitation is to approach one or more of these practices as a complete beginner again? What if you approach prayer as a total novice? Like, eject from your mind all of the baggage about, I don't know, having to say the right things, be performative, and just center yourself on the fact that prayer is simply about connecting. It's about relationship. Talking with God and listening to him as well, as you would with a close friend. What if any staleness that we experience in prayer has less to do with God and prayer itself and more to do with our misconceptions and bad experiences with it? And so what if becoming like a child is what will fill our prayer life with new wonder and depth? What if you approach the Bible as a total beginner again? I know it can be hard if you grew up in the church. But I think one of the worst things we can do when we read scripture or even when we hear a sermon or a teaching is to think, I've read that before. I've heard this before. I've heard Tim Keller preach on that before. It doesn't really apply to me or I've got this one down or it doesn't really connect with me. Because this is a posture that closes our minds and our ears and shuts God out. It's a posture that denies the fact that God's word is living and breathing and that it speaks into our context. If not now, then later. It denies the fact that the Holy Spirit is what illuminates the words that we are reading and hearing. All we need to do is show up and be ready to be a beginner again and again and again. We can approach silence and solitude, Sabbath, fasting, even worship in community and in hospitality as beginners, open and ready to receive whatever God has for us, ready to risk even. We can approach the new year as children eager for new connection with God, a new readiness for what he has in store, even if it is to be a challenging season For some of us, being a beginner again might entail some deconstruction and then reconstruction. And here's what I mean by that, because there's a lot surrounding that word deconstruction. Some of us might have grown up with a lot of, I don't know, unpleasant or unhealthy church baggage or wounds. Some of us have been hurt by church or people in the church. And so some of us are are leery of Christians, like our minds don't go to Jesus and the truth about him, but rather to political tensions and the hijacking of God for other agendas. Some of us, for some of us, it was super boring our whole lives. And so for some of us, there is confrontation to do. You know, we might have to confront our past, the, the things or people that hurt us, the misconceptions or misunderstandings that we might have picked up along the way about Jesus and what it means to follow him the ways in which culture has influenced or skewed our understanding of him. 
We need to confront these things so that we can rebuild our idea of God, faith, and following him based on the truth of scripture, based on God himself. Because at the end of the day, we can know God personally. Like Jesus wants relationship with you specifically. Not through your pastor or your church or your youth group. Not some third party or a middleman. He wants to be king of your heart. Your Lord, your friend, and your savior. And so I end with this question. How is Jesus inviting you to be a beginner again this year so that you can begin again. Maybe this is the year for you to be a beginner again with prayer or scripture. Or maybe this is the year for you to be a beginner again with community, daring to risk committing to living life openly and vulnerably with others. Or maybe this is a year for you to be a beginner again with Jesus and following him. Maybe it's time to revisit or confront old wounds, old beliefs, potentially old misconceptions to invite the spirit of truth in in order to rebuild your faith and your allegiance to Jesus on truth. Because the truth is there is nothing more beautiful than living in the reality that each day is full of potential pregnant with possibility. There's nothing more beautiful and life-giving than living in and experiencing the reality of God's nearness. Seeing Him, hearing Him, knowing Him, just noticing Him. And witnessing the fact that His kingdom is here, but that it also is coming in full. Glimpses of heaven are here, but they're also coming So my friends, this year, let us turn and become like children again so that we can see him a little more clearly than the year before. Let's stand and pray together. Jesus, our friend, our Lord, and our Savior, Um, but also our rabbi, our teacher. Jesus, we ask that you would teach us how to be children again this year. No matter what life stage or season we're in, no matter what our context is, you know us personally, you know what we need. And so we ask that wherever we're at, you would show us a first step. Teach us to become more children. Empower us to humble ourselves. To submit to you as teacher, but also as Lord. Lord, we ask that this year would be a year where we would be led by you and that we would go with you, stepping into new possibilities, new wonder, new love, perhaps, new joy, and a deep peace, Lord. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.